continuation in the book of James in most English translations, but in the original Hebrew, it was a book of Yaakov, which is Jacob. A letter from Yaakov, from Yaakov, a slave of God, of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, to the 12 tribes in the diaspora. Shalom. And we'll, beginning, we'll be beginning in chapter number three. I already started this message a few weeks ago about the taming of the tongue. Chapter three and verse one. Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, since you know that we will be judged more severely. For we all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble... In what he says, he is a mature man who can bridle his own body. For we all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who can bridle his whole body. If we put a bit into a horse's mouth to make it obey us, we control its whole body as well. And think of a ship. Although it is huge and is driven by strong winds, yet the pilot can steer it wherever he wants with just a small rudder. So too the tongue is a tiny part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See how at a little fire sets a whole forest ablaze? Yes, the tongue is a fire, a world of wickedness. The tongue is so placed in your body that it defies every part of it, setting ablaze the whole of life, and it is set on fire by Gehenna itself. For people have tamed and continue to tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures, but the tongue no one can tame. It is an unstable and evil thing, full of death, dealing poison. With it we bless Adonai, the Father, and with it we curse who were made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. Brothers, it isn't right for these things to be this way. A spring doesn't send both fresh and bitter water from the same opening, does it? Can a fig tree yield olives, my brothers, or grapevine figs? Neither does salt water produce fresh. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him demonstrate it by a good way of life, by the actions done in humility that grows out of wisdom. But if you harbor your, in your heart bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, don't boast and attack the truth with lies. This wisdom is not the kind that comes from above. On the contrary, it is worldly and unscriptural demonic for where there there are jealousy and selfish ambition there will be disharmony and even foul practice but the wisdom from above is first of all pure then peaceful kind and open to reason full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy and peacemakers who sow seed in peace raise a harvest of righteousness and so today we're going to begin here on verse number two going forward of Yaakov, 
the book of James chapter 3. For we all stumble in ways, if someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man and, and can bridle his whole body. And so with this, we see that when we use these words maturely, we do then demonstrate true maturity and we're showing self-control. So, going back to verse number 3.3. Three. If we put a bit into a horse's mouth to make it obey us, we control its whole body as well. And think of a ship, although it is huge and is driven by strong winds, yet the pilot can steer it wherever he wants with just a small rudder. So too the tongue is a tiny part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See how little fire sets the whole forest, forest ablaze. Yes, the tongue is a fire, a world of wickedness. The tongue is so placed in the body that it defiles every part of it, setting ablaze the whole of life and is set on fire by Gehenna itself. For these people have tamed animals and they continue to tame all kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures. But the tongue no one can tame. It is unstable and evil full of death and dealing of poison. So now as we go a little bit deeper today, so today even wild animals are tamed by humans, yet when the smallest parts of the human body is untamed, and it's untamable, it is restless without God's help. We need God's help in controlling our tongues. The human mouth is like a poisonous snake, always poised to strike and to inject poison. Let's now look at this verse here out of Psalm chapter 12. It declares this. If you do keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceiving talk, that is Psalms 34 and 13. And going on to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10 and verse 11, it declares this. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the snake charmer has no advantage. Or in other words, he receives no fee. So God in his word is, com is comparing our tongue like a poisonous snake that's about to strike someone. And so... This passage here, out of Ecclesiastes 10.11, speaks about the untamed tongue, the unkind tongue, the unreasonable tongue, and an undisciplined tongue. Now, if you look at Proverbs chapter 15.2, it declares this. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes foolishness and folly. Continuing in the book of Proverbs, which has a lot of wisdom that it speaks, a little background about that snake. The word charmer in Hebrew literally means the master of the tongue, one's own tongue. And in this book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is now admonishing 
in the fact that the wisdom of controlling one's words, people must first learn before they speak and think about what's going to proceed from their mouths. So continuing now in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 32, it says this. The lips of the righteous know what finds favor, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. Proverbs has much more to say in chapter 13 and verse 3. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs has even more to speak about the tongue. Those who guard their mouths and keep their tongues, keep themselves from all calamity. Proverbs also speaks in chapter 15, 21. Folly, which is foolishness, brings joy to the one who has no sense. But whoever has understanding keeps a straight course in all his life. And finally, in Proverbs 15, 2, and this is worth mentioning a second time. The tongue of these of those who are wise adorns and desires knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes foolishness and folly, and their end at many times becomes ruinous in itself. So continuing here, focusing on the tongue. The tongue is an evil thing. Lashan hara, literally the tongue of evil. In Judaism, re refers to gossip and backbiting, rumor mongering, slander, and other misuses of speech. The Talmud condemns it severely. It says this: If one speaks lashan hara, it is as if though he is denied God. The sin of lashan hara is weighed equally with the sins of idolatry, sexual immorality, and murder. The three sins named are those for which, according to the Talmud, Sanhedrin 74a, which is later also quoted in Acts chapter 1520, a Jew is supposed to give up his life rather than commit Lashan Hora. A Jewish Sage, his name is Zelig Pilskin, he's a non-Messianic Jew, has written an interesting book on the laws of Lashan Hara called Guard Your Tongue, based on the, rab on the writings of Rabbi Israel Mir Kagan, known as the Safetz Chaim, the desire of life. In the book of Psalms, chapter 34, verses 13 and 14, in the English translation, Psalms, chapter 34, verses 12 and 13, this is what is declared. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of Adonai. Which of you takes pleasure in living? If you do keep your tongue from evil, and your lips from deceiving talk, turn from evil evil, and do good. 
and seek peace and go after it. That is a simple declaration. Now continuing. The Shafer Khanin died in 1934 at the age of 95. He points out that even true statements may be Lashan Hara if relating them that they may cause damage. A sample of this amusing yet practical advice, this is what he suggested, and he wrote this. Beware Lashan Hara when speaking on the telephone. If, so, if a person with whom you are conversing insists on relating Lashan Hara, you should rebuke him. If this is not possible, find an excuse and hang up. Excuse me. Something has come up. Lashan Hara and discontinue the conversation. Continuing. Out of the heart proceeds all kinds of evil. In Mark chapter 7 and verses 20 through 23, this is what it says. And this is who is speaking here, but Yeshua himself. It is what comes out of a person. He, Yeshua, went on that makes him unclean. From within, out of the person's heart, come forth wicked thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, indecency, envy, and slander, arrogance, and foolishness. All of these wicked things come from within. And that's what make a person unclean. Some thoughts on that. The unredeemed human heart is full of vile and vicious, self-centered and destructive attitudes that produce equally ugly behaviors and actions. Yeshua covered the range of evil that finds a home in human beings who live apart from God. Continuing. So out of the heart proceeds all kinds of evils. Mark 7, chapter 7, verse 20 through 23, which was just shared. And the first place they go is to the tongue where they're being vented out. Continuing. They are full, the tongue is full of death and dealing poison. And how do we know this? We know it because of what the scripture declares. Out of Berejit Genesis chapter 6-5. I, Adonai, I say to the people on earth were wicked and that all their imaginings of their hearts were always evil only. And think about that. That's what God spoke there at the beginning in the early stages of mankind inhabiting the earth. And that has continued up to this day. And so do not be alarmed when you see all these things happening around us. Yes, we do live in the latter days where we see 
Now we live in a time where evil is called good and good is called evil. And that's being expressed by those in authority that we believed that we would never hear those words from their mouth. Has not the world began to define things differently? A birth of a child was something to be looking forward to. But now we're told, well, you should not offend that woman or not because she may want to offer that child up as an abortion. And she has that right because that's her body, is it not? See how things have come? The natural love that God has placed in every woman's heart towards a child is not evident in everyone. And it's now being expressed by their tongue. Let's continue. Praise be unto God. And now let us go back here to Chapter 3 and verse 9. The tongue, with it we bless Adonai the Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. And when you stop to think about that, to realize that you're actually cursing and putting someone who's actually been created in the image and likeness of God. And let us stop and think about that for one second. That even includes those who are not born again. Because they too were created in the image and likeness of God. If not for the grace and mercy of God, we would remain as they are. That's a path and that's part of our past. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been born of the Spirit. But that individual has potential because they too are have been created in the image and likeness of God. But by our words, do we either curse or bless that person? Continue now in chapter 3 and verse 10 of the book of Yaakov. Out of the same mouth come both blessing and cursings. Brothers, it isn't right for these things to be this way. A spring doesn't send both fresh and bitter water from the same opening, does it? Can a fig tree yield olives, my brothers, or grape fig, grapevine figs? Neither does salt water produce fresh. And so now he's, he's asking them to think. Because you can imagine once they first heard this letter read to them, they were convicted in their hearts and maybe their mind just went a whole different direction and they were not listening. So that's why the author of the letter was, was led by the Spirit to pose some questions, to bring them back. Because there are times we have to admit when we hear a message where our minds kind of drift. We think about what, uh, what time's the game today, if there's some kind of game, or what we're going to have for lunch, or what we're going to do for the rest of our day. So think about that. As the Spirit spoke through Yaakov, he's asking questions. So that as a question is posed, their attention is now being drawn back. That's an excellent teaching tool that we can all attest to and use as the Spirit of the living God shows us and encourages us to use it there in the future. So going forward now, 
Out of Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says this. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and mortally sick. Who can fathom it? Has there been times in your life when you propose to do something, but out of the essence of your heart, evil and evil thoughts and motives were produced? That's why God asks us to check our hearts. That's why God desires to circumcise our hearts so that we'll live in unity to do the Father's will in every shape and form. So continuing here from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, it declares this. In other words, since they have not considered God worthy of knowing, God has given them up to worthless ways of thinking so that they do, they do improper things. They are filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and vice, stuffed with jealousy, murder, quarreling, dishonesty, and ill will. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. They're insolvent, arrogant, and boastful. They plan evil schemes. They disobey their parents. They are brainless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. They know well enough of God's righteousness. Yet they decree that people who do such things deserve to die. Yet not only do they keep doing them, but they applaud others who do the same. Now when you think what's happening down now in our world, where things that were once considered evil are now considered good, and actually someone's own personal right, we can see how this is being manifested time and time again. Were you not shocked after October 7th when there were many people throughout the earth were applauding what Hamas has done? They did not recognize that these Jewish people, both men, women, and children, have a right to exist. And here they're, they're, they're just whitewashing over that. It's that exists, those evil crimes are now condoned because they see the nation of Israel as an occupier. The problem is they've never read God's word, or maybe they have, and they've replaced them with the church. That's the reality that we're living in today. There were college professors that were asked if apartheid and evil was proclaimed against Jewish people. Was that considered hate speech or an act of violence? And what did those professors say? It depends on the context. See how words and definition of words 
and definition of truth and law and common decency is now being whitewashed and condoned and applauded. We see these realities even happening today. And when Rav Shaul wrote to the people of Rome, it was current even in that day. You may see, think that America and the world is on a trajectory towards evil. We haven't come close to what was happening in Rome. And it's amazing. History often repeats itself. When Yeshua said about his return, he said these words, it will be like the days of Noah. Where people contemplated doing only what was evil continuously. And we're on that trajectory right now. That's why we as a body of believers need to use our sanctified tongues to proclaim the good news like never before. <coughs> Continuing, this verse reiterates that wickedness of the human heart is beyond cure in and of itself. The primary characteristic of being in the flesh is an absolute inability to please God. Only surrender to the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, can guarantee the motives that will be pleasing unto God. Now let us look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 21. And this is what it says here. And it is perfectly evident what our old nature does. It expresses itself in sexual immorality, impurity, indecency, involvement with the occult, and with drugs. In the Greek, the word drugs is pharmakia. Infuting and fighting, becoming jealous, and getting angry, and selfish ambition. Factionism, intrigue, and envy and drunkenness, and orgies, and things like these. And Rav Shul went on to write this. I warn you now, as I've warned you before, those who do such things will have no share in the kingdom of God. And so do not be surprised when you see here about a spiritual leader falling. And the things that he had been hiding and those who have hidden it with him that the spirit of the living God allows that to be revealed and what is the hope of that is this that God must judge first within his own community of messianic believers so that others will learn from the lessons God does not tolerate sin the sin that is perceived with our tongues or through actions. God holds all of his children accountable. This is an act of love. This is like the last call. God calls us to repentance so that we can be reconciled unto him and have a right relationship with him.
So anytime you hear a spiritual leader falling, you should not rejoice. But you should intercede and pray for them. The scripture says you are to snatch them as of one snatching someone who's falling into a lake of fire. And to do it with humility and motivation of love and restoration. For if not by the grace of God, so would you go. Anyone who walks in arrogance and pride is ready for Hasatan, slew foot to trip them up on any occasion. So beware. Be careful. Continuing here. So now we'll read the last portion here, which is 13 through 18. Whom among you is wise and understanding? Let him demonstrate by his good way of life, by actions done in what? In humility. That grows out of what? Wisdom. But if you harbor in your hearts bitter jealousy and self Ambition, don't boast and attack the truth with lies. This wisdom is not the kind that comes down from above. On the contrary, it's worldly, unscriptural, and demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disharmony in every foul practice. But wisdom from above at first is pure, then peaceful, kind, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and peacemakers who sow the seed in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Continuing with the tongue. The tongue is an evil thing. Lashan hara. I apologize, I should have switched the page over. So with this, we see now in the book that wisdom of the world was spawned in the heart of Hasatan the devil who lied against the truth of God. How do we know this? From the book in Hebrew, it's pronounced Berejit, which is Genesis chapter 3. We're not going to read that whole chapter. Please, that's your assignment of homework on your own. Going on, worldly wisdom promises knowledge, but produces what? Disobedience. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. It seeks to please itself. It is earthly. Instead of pleasing God, it creates what? Chaos and strife. It is unscriptural and powered by the demonic forces of hell. And how do we know this? Rav Shul, the apostle Paul, wrote about this in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Because although they knew God, is they do not glorify him as God or thank him. On the contrary, they become fertile in their thinking 
and their undiscerning hearts have become what? Darkened. Claiming to be wise, they have become fools. Now when you see these leaders now around the world who are now claiming to have a new revelation, a new interpretation, how to live, they have gained worldly wisdom. And who's that source? But Hasatan himself. And they have become fruitful, confused in their thinking. And they have undiscerning hearts, which have become darkened. Have you not been shocked what is proceeded from their mouths in their decisions on how they are to lead their country? They're claiming to be wise. What have they now become? But fools. And I would interject this. Mere puppets of Hasatan to do his beating, bidding. And the Lord knew that this would happen. Nothing surprises him. So continuing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 24, and I'll end on this today. Where does this leave the philosopher, Rashaul's writing? The Torah teacher or any of today's thinkers. Does that not sound very contemporary? Hasn't God made this world's wisdom look pretty foolish? For God's wisdom ordained that the world using its own wisdom would not come to know him. Therefore, God decided to use the nonsense of what we proclaim. That's the good news. His means of saving those who would come to trust in it. Precisely because Jews ask for what? Miraculous signs. And Greeks try to find wisdom. Yet we go on proclaiming a Messiah executed on a stake as a criminal. To Jews, this is an absolute obstacle. And to Greek, it is nonsense. But those who are called both Jews and Greeks... Now, some thoughts. This same Messiah is God's power and God's wisdom. We go proclaiming that the Messiah has been executed on a stake as a criminal. To Jews, this is an obstacle or a stumbling block, a stumbling stone. And to Greek, in the Greek word, the Greek word is pronounced skadalon, S-K-A-N-D-A-L. From which the word scandal derives. It's scandalous. Who would think or perceive that the promised Messiah would die upon an execution stake? He's to be our deliverer. This makes no sense from a human perspective. But what appeared to be foolish unto men is both the wisdom and power of God. No one has become a true believer in Messiah by their own intellect, by their great study, if not the bearing of the Spirit of the living God. When prior to us coming to even receive the message of the good news, 
the spirit of the living God had to open up our eyes, open up our minds, and open up our ears so we could even begin to have understanding of what was taking place. So continuing here, to Jews this is an obstacle or a stumbling block from which the word scandal derives. Because Jewish hopes in the Messiah center on the restoring of self-rule to Israel and bringing shalom and peace to the earth. Two scripture references there are Acts chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 and Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. At the same time to the Jewish people, a crucified Messiah makes no sense because they were looking for a victorious king. At the same time, to the Greeks, it is nonsense. Their entire concept of a Messiah deliverer who acts in history, even to bring peace, let alone to be the atonement of sin, is foolishness to those of worldly wisdom. <coughs> so to the Greeks, Yeshua's Death on the execution stake, the cross, was a symbol of weakness and defeat. Yet the message of the crucified Messiah is exactly what provides those who are called with the power and wisdom of God. In the Messiah, Savior, Deliver, those people rejected and what they rejected were the very things that they longed for. Because no man who has ever been raised from the dead like Yeshua. Praise be unto God. Shabbat Shalom. <clears throat>